0: A little distraction, but for what it's worth, a little tangent. um, We celebrate 300 years of St. Charles Borromeo. 300 years of the Catholic faith right here in this area of the River Parishes. That's a lot. Like, that's before the United States was even the United States, right? Early 1700s or so. How old is your Catholic Church in the world? How many years this year? 2,023 plus, right? We're at the end of the year. Like, that's a lot. That's quite a significant reality for us to process that you belong to some organization which unlike any other Has that kind of unbroken history. So just food for thought if you want to just chew on that for a while Um, I'm not gonna say anything useful. So go ahead Um, No in the gospel and also in the the first reading God is definitely calling out the leaders of his people He's really laying it on heavy against the the scribes rather the priests in the Old Testament and the scribes Pharisees and the priests in the New Testament he calls the crowd and his disciples, and he says, See, yes, look at the Pharisees. They sit there on their chair of Moses. It's interesting, like, on the one hand, yes, there is an authority. He actually affirms that there is an authority, the seat of Moses. That Latin word for seat of Moses is cathedra. We'll get back to that, but it's interesting because there is an authority, and our Lord is affirming that that didn't just disappear with the Jews, but rather continued that word cathedral. That's the seat of the bishop, which is the successor of the apostles. And the authority of the apostles is the authority of Christ. So that authority continues, and our Lord does affirm it. Whatever they teach you, follow them. Because what they hold bound on earth is bound in heaven. However, in this case, he's calling out how they hold that leadership position. Do not follow their personal example. Because they're, in this case, first of all, they're hypocrites. They they teach, but they don't live what they teach. It's very heavy, that accusi- accusation of hypocrisy. Unlike St. Paul, in, this, in the second reading, St. Paul says, we didn't lay burdens on you at all. We, we actually carried our burdens. But the leaders of Jesus' time, and the pitfall for all of us today, is to expect people to carry our burdens because we're the leader, but we're missing a lot. The Lord says, not that kind of leadership even those who are blessed or or led or voted into authority, how do you carry that authority? Likewise there, he criticizes the way they, not that they wore phylacteries and tassels, because they did, he actually wore them too. It was a Jewish thing to wear. It carried, the the commandments of, of Moses were on those phylacteries or tassels. The other one carried the Shema prayer, the prayer of the Jewish person. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And it was carried as a reminder to the wearer but the struggle with the Pharisees of the time, the leaders of the time, they would like broaden their phylacteries and long lengthen their tassels, kind of like saying, I'm reminding you, hey, treat me a special way because of who I am. And our Lord was like, nah, not that way. Not that way. Again, titles. They like to be called Rabbi, which I think Bram Petrie said in another language that actually means not just teacher, but exalted one or great one. It's because you do. If you teach the Word of God, that is something tremendous and serious, but don't, don't launch yourself. Don't, don't overestimate yourself. They were focused, however, on entitlement. On drawing attention to themselves. They wanted recognition and status. Yes, it's true. Okay, there is authority. And with that authority, sometimes, especially if you try to carry it out well, there comes some recognition, some status. We do salute the president, saying, Mr. President, that's a title of honor. We dress up nicely when we greet someone like that. But those things are not the focus. And the leader should never look for those things. That's not why he's there. We should not, should not be seeking after our own glory and honor, but God's glory and the good of those we serve. Jesus emphasized that the, the leaders of his time, like they did all these things because they liked seats of honor. They wanted the front row seat I do feel like in Catholic circles, somehow we over-assimilated the wrongness of seeking the front row seats. Because you guys never seek the front row seats, but let's find some balance in that, okay? I don't like being up here by myself. Like, come a little closer if you want to, on a regular basis. But we did get that one, and it's true. We shouldn't seek places of honor. Our Lord would say, you know, like, let other people have that first place. Jesus gave the example of, like, you don't come to the front row lest the master of the birthday party say, oh, actually, there's someone more important than you, and you get sent to the back. Rather, start putting yourself in the back, and let the Master call you forward, and you will be honored by Him. But instead of honoring God, the leaders of Jesus' time, and sometimes we ourselves, sought honor for themselves. Instead of seeking to reflect God's truth and love, they sought to be seen themselves, reflecting themselves, and their own greatness. They sought gifts and the appreciation of men, instead of that priestly witness of having nothing. I was struck with the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi. He told the priest of his time, with God's authority, he says, you have broken the covenant of Levi. Now, if you don't know this, of the twelve tribes of of Israel, the Levites, children of Levi, were the priestly tribe. Everybody else, all the other eleven tribes, children, heirs of, of Israel, Jacob, they all received some property, some land and territory in Palestine, which today is Israel. But the Levites didn't get any land. Their portion was the Lord. Their lot, their what fell to them was to belong to Him. And the rest of the tribes kind of took care of the Levites, the priestly class that served their needs. But the covenant of Levi meant you don't get anything. You're not looking for anything. So that's the reality. Our struggle with corrupted leadership, our corrupted way of living that witness we are called to give. Instead, we are tempted to seek in in a prideful way. We're looking for status. Sometimes we work for vain glory, what others will think of me, what's in it for me. I mean, I'll volunteer for this position, or I'll take that role, but what's in it for me? And then there's the hypocrisy. From those leadership positions, we bear these heavy burdens on the people that we give laws for or rules to, but we ourselves in our private, where no one's looking, we kind of take exception. Hypocrites. Our Lord would say, not that way. The Christian following Jesus Christ himself does not come to be served, but to serve. And he would add to that, to lay down your life. Not to exalt myself, leave that to God. Walker loves to draw attention to himself. He's coming right in the front row, center aisle. Let me look at everyone look at me, Put the spotlight on me. You can do that when you're little, but maturity as a human being, and our Lord gives us that model, is not about putting the spotlight on yourself. We're here to let others shine. We're not here to seek our own life, but to lose ourselves for the good of others. We have but one teacher, master, father. And our role is to reflect him, to imitate him, to allow him to be seen through us. Not get in the way and draw people to ourselves. It's about not pride, but humility. That word humility actually has a a meaning related to the dust of the earth. You are dirt, which isn't meant to be exaggerated, but yeah, like like you're nothing, and your role is not to be something yourself, but to realize he is something, and his greatness is reflected in you, if you allow it to be. The greatest among you must be the least of all and the servant of all. That's what great means to God. Whoever exalts himself now will be humbled by God when it counts most. So humble yourself now and let him take care of exalting you. The world today, obviously, never did. The world doesn't get this. It never has. The original sin had everything to do with pride, not trusting God and asserting myself. The world says, exalt yourself because nobody else is going to care to do it for you. So make sure you take care, number one, yourself. We hear that in so many different ways. Again in our in our work or in politics or in everything we do, it's like it's all about like gossiping about the faults of my neighbor to make sure that I can maneuver myself for the position that I want and get the highest pay or the the place that I am entitled to. We do volunteer, but sometimes in our volunteering for the PTO or school needs or church needs, it's like, oh my gosh, look at everything I'm doing. Look at me. My name is on this piece of paper and my name is over there and here I am president of such and such a committee. See my name in lights there? Look at me. No, don't look at anything of that. Just do what you're supposed to do. Do what you feel called to do and let God be the one who looks at you. Who cares what other people think? It's never about them. Don't exalt yourself and submit to what they think. Let God lift you up. Let God be the one who guides you. It's interesting, like in our sports world even, there's a human awareness that while it's true, we, we do pay attention to the people, the sportsmen, the, the MVP whose name is in lights. So that's great, but there's also such a thing as a ball hog. <laughs> and even our human sensitivity recognizes there's too much of the self in that player. There's too much self-exaltation. The little victory dance in the end zone is a little too much about flaunting yourself. The Christian leadership, the MVP for the Christian, is the one with the most assists. The one who didn't get the points himself. He helped someone else get the slam dunk. And we recognize that. And there's a deeper humanity there. There's a a greater maturity there. He didn't need the crowds to cheer him on. He's good. He helped the next player get the point, the cheer, and the recognition. And that's human maturity. That's leadership. And our Lord, whose image we are made in, shows us that. And it very much goes against our fallen nature today. We want to be exalted. We want to be recognized. We are mad when the priest says thank you to all the people who helped out with some event, and he forgets my name. It's like, ooh, that hurts. my pride. Because there's a lot of pride. I could end it there. Would you like me to end it there? Short. Sweet. Except that our Lord, he did use um, exaggeration to make this point. Some people have missed what he was saying. So let me go there for just a moment because he said call no one on earth your father. What do y'all call me? Awkward. Awkward. You call me father. You call the pope? Pope, which is actually Papa, which means father, daddy. The way Jesus referred to his father, Abba, daddy. So what does it mean to be called Father? And just to be clear, when Jesus was saying that, even though it's been taken out of context, it's clear the context was focusing on not self-exaltation. But the apostles, in the big picture, they didn't take him literally because he wasn't speaking literally. And they referred to others as Father. They didn't stop suddenly. James and John didn't go home to Zebedee and say, we will no longer call you Father, Dad, because... No, and and even St. Paul, he says, I became your father in Christ. So that was not being meant to be taken literally. But it does carry a serious responsibility. And the way you carry that title, as a real father, a biological father, but also in this case, like the priest, when you call me father, it's not so I can say, that's right, Junior, and get in line and kiss my ring while you're at it. I don't have a ring, but bishops have a ring. And you do kiss the ring because it represents the succession to the apostles. And that's a worthy office, the ones Jesus called. But it is a privilege when you call me Father. It is not to be neglected or forgotten or taken for granted. I do not come to be served or praised. It's not about receiving your loving gifts. I do love the peanut butter m and but I'm good. You don't need to any anymore. Thanks, though. Just kidding. But no, it's, sometimes those things do. I mean, it's beautiful if, if, you, if God works things out. Sometimes recognition comes, status comes, gifts sometimes show up, but it's not for that. And we're not looking for that. I was thinking of the way St. Paul wrote to the Ephesians about husbands, that role of father, husband, because guess what? You guys are my bride. You guys are my bride. And you tell me what to do all the time, and it's fine. <laughs> However, when St. Paul described the role of husband, husband, love your bride the way Christ loved his beloved church, the bride of Christ, laying down his life for her washing her in the baptismal bath of rebirth. And that's what the priest is supposed to do. And when you call me father, it's not a, an entitlement, it's, it's a reminder. That's my role. To imitate him. It'd be really nice one day, maybe in the distant future, that my tombstone might actually say he laid down his life for them. Because that's what it's about. That's what we're looking for. That's what we should be looking for. I don't wear tassels or phylacteries let's face it, I wear some strange vestments right? these are some crazy vestments I'm not setting a trend I'm never going to but I don't wear these myself, but this is what it's what Jesus would actually have worn he wore a tunic he wore an outer garment and the priest wears these, especially in liturgy because the priest is not there the priest is standing in the person of Jesus Christ the head, and so the idea is I disappear so that you see him at the Last Supper, he took off his outer garments before he washed the feet of the apostles. He was wearing several layers. And so we do. We kept that kind of visible, sensible sign so you could be reminded, hey, there's something else we're focused on. Not Stevie Dartis. Don't ever call me that, by the way. But, just kidding. Much less Stephanie. Anyway, um, you focus on him. My closet my sister's closet? I mean, you talk about colors and arrangements and sortings and tops matching bottoms and a whole bunch of shoes, right? My closet looks more like Batman's closet. <laughs> it's all black. A few, few exceptions here and there because you look strange in the, at the beach in black. But anyway, mostly black and some dark gray. But it's important. <laughs> Movie reference. It's important. That's what we're here for. Um, we don't come seeking in our own comforts. I do wear black. Why do you wear black? When do you wear black? At a funeral. You wear black at a funeral. And the priest wears black because he's already dead. He's got nothing to gain from this life. He's putting all of his hopes and inviting everyone who would walk with him to do the same. Put all, not wear black, put all your hope in the promises of things to come through the death that is coming to all of us. I bet my life on the promises of Jesus Christ to tell you that it's worth it, it's real, it's trustworthy. We do take vows, poverty, chastity, obedience. In our poverty, it's a reminder Jesus would even say, you blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it's true you focus on the spiritual poverty, but the priest even, to some extent, does try to give a witness of real, literal poverty. A whole other homily could explain the distinction between parish priest versus religious, but as a religious priest, I had nothing. No bank account, no car, no house, no wardrobe. Everything I had, I had asked my, per- my permission from the superior, which touches on obedience. But like, I was poor. I was trying to be poor for him. I have nothing to gain from you of material goods. I would love your prayers, but materially, I'm not here for that. Those other things. Obedience. I am obedient to Him. I strive to be obedient to Him through my bishop, through my superior. But ultimately, just like Jesus was fully obedient to the Father, to witness to you and to me that we could do that. The Father is trustworthy. You can submit to Him in everything. Years ago, I was so blessed in my obedience, God's will sent me to Rome. It was amazing for four years of my life in Rome, the eternal city. Then to New York to Luling. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, Luling's like Rome, but different. Yeah. Just kidding. Just kidding. Anyway, God bless obedience. And even that, that vow of, of chastity, of celibacy, like reminder, all of us are called to live chastity, meaning that muscle memory of self-dominion over your sexuality. Like you own it, you possess it. It takes work to acquire that virtue and that grace. And as the grace of God. To give you the, the charism of chastity. Priests and religious live celibacy. That's like total chastity. All of you might be called to have one spouse. Only one, guys, only one. I get zero, one less. But it's a witness. It's a witness that I am striving to be purely for Him, purely focused on my bride getting you to heaven. Single-minded is a great word. Just my my, my one mind. I think I, I strive to be focused on this all day. The priest is focused on, on the bride, get into heaven. I am totally available. I do not have a spouse calling me on the phone saying, Hey, you're late for dinner and you need to eat something. Footnote. Okay, sometimes my mom does watch me on live 360 and she'll say, Hey, you should be in bed. But that's my mom and she can do that. Y'all can't do that. Anyway, it's it's there. So that I can always be available. The priest always is there when you say, Father, you got a minute? The priest always has a minute. Maybe ten, maybe more. But he's always available the way, the way he, our Lord Jesus Himself, was always, always available. We're striving to be that way. I mean, sometimes I'm late because I've always got a minute. But it's important. That's, that's that idea. Like just you belong to the bride. But the bride. Not to yourself. And not to one in particular who would have some sort of call upon your availability. The marriage vocation does have that beautiful gift. And the priesthood would try to remind people we don't. That we are for you. Just like Christ is there for you. It's a challenge, especially in this day and age. I love um, the saying of John the Baptist. St. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, his, his disciples told him, Hey, that new rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, He's over there on the other side of the lake and he's baptizing more people than you. They're going to him. John the Baptist's words were not, okay, well go tell that guy to go find his own territory because this is my place. He actually says a beautiful line. He must increase. I must decrease. And in some ways, that's the role of the parish of the priest. To be present, to help you recognize Him and, and turn your heart and mind and life towards Him and experience that, that presence that you can depend on and then de- decrease. Not get in the way of that. Not draw your attention to, hey, look how good I am. Hey, look amazing. I can talk forever. See, I'll keep going and going and going. Look at me. But rather to help you come into contact with Him who you can hold on to forever. It's it's a struggle in our parishes today, we're talking about consolidating churches and and the hardship of of churches closing, but I do feel like sometimes when we teach people to hold on to the physical church, we've done something wrong. Because that one building wasn't the focal and should not have been the center of everything in itself. It should have been a reflection and a valuable one for you, but to reflect you to the eternal dwelling place of God. And the same with the, the priests, we're, we're there to help be a bridge, not a stopping point. He must increase, we must decrease. And if we do otherwise, in parish life, focusing too much on the physical building of that particular church, it is, it's real, the struggle is real, but, but we have kind of done a disservice, there's a deficiency in the formation. If in the end the people just hold on to that physical church or that person or whatever, I'm here to reflect, the priest, when you call me Father, you remind me that I'm here to reflect the one Father in heaven. We want to reflect your attention to the one true God. The Father who serves your needs, the Father who's always present to you, who lays down your life for you. And I do apologize, my representation, it is, it's very much imperfect, very imperfect. And y'all go to confession, and I go to confession too, because it's not the perfect reflection. But I'm striving through my imperfect witness to lead you to the perfect Father, God, Teacher, Master. And it is a great, great life. It's the greatest life. I love the priesthood. I love my celibate love. I love the the ability to to be fully available. I love the poverty, even at times. Not knowing if I'm going to get lunch one day. Uh, Here it's different, but Previously, it was, it was definitely a beautiful experience to watch God provide and remind me that I could remind others, hey, God takes care of your needs. Not all of your wants, but your needs. You can trust him. When you call me Father, when you use that title, you remind me of who I'm supposed to be. So I want to share with you, well, don't worry, we'll leave off with this, but a beautiful prayer for those you call Father, especially in the priesthood, it's a prayer for priests. And we all need this renewal. Priests, in our vocations, we need this renewal. So I mean, I'm leaving on a month-long renewal if you want to pray, but um, that's what it's for. It's to always be mindful. This is what I want my life to be about. This is what God invited my life to be about. We pray for priests. Keep them, I pray thee, dearest Lord. Keep them, for they are thine. Thy priests whose lives burn out before thy consecrated shrine. Keep them. For they are in the world, though from the world apart. When earthly pleasures tempt, O shelter them in thy heart. Keep them and comfort them in hours of loneliness or pain, when all their life of sacrifice for souls seems but in vain. Keep them, and remember, O Lord, they have no one but thee, yet they have only human hearts with human frailty. Keep them as spotless as that host which daily they caress. Their every thought and word and deed deign, dearest Lord, to bless. Amen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph pray for us.